Do you want to stay more focused on the right goals in your life or even just figure out what the right goals are for you? Do you want clarity? Do you want better work-life balance? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Success Through Failure. Welcome to the Success Through Failure podcast, the show that reveals failure as your path to success. You'll listen to intriguing interviews with some of the most successful people on the planet and learn how their failures became a launchpad for success and how yours can too. Here's your host, former Division I All-American wrestler, former Division I head coach, speaker, and personal coach, Jim Harshaw. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. Today, I bring you James Fell. Do you get motivation, clarity, or inspiration from the Success Through Failure podcast? Then don't be so selfish. Share the motivation with your friends. Go to jimharshawjr.com slash share, and there you'll find a simple page with just three buttons. One to share the podcast on Twitter, one for Facebook, and one for LinkedIn. Click any of the buttons, and you'll have the option to either share the pre-written tweet or message or rewrite your own. That's it. Super simple. It'll just take a few seconds Unless you're selfish and you want to keep all of this awesome inspiration to yourself, go ahead and let your friends in on the secret. They'll thank you. And if nothing else, you'll have something cool to talk about the next time you get together. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash share. James is a motivation, health, and fitness writer for the Los Angeles Times and the Chicago Tribune. He's authored pieces in Time Magazine, The Guardian, Men's Health, Women's Health, and many other publications. His blog, Body for Wife, has millions of visitors each year, and he's also the author of two books. The Holy Crap Moment, we'll keep this clean for the, uh, for the families who are listening, The Holy Crap Moment, uh, How Lasting Change Can Happen in an Instant, and the second book is Losing It Right, a brutally honest three-stage program to help you get fit and lose weight without losing your mind. And for the listener, as you know, if you don't have time to listen to this entire episode or if you hear something you like but you don't have time to write it down, make sure you grab your free copy of the action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. James, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on, Jim. Well, thanks for being here. So let's uh, let's start with this. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Kind of give us a 30,000-foot view of of uh, where you grew up and kind of how you got from there to where you're at now. Well, I'm a I'm lifelong Canadian. Uh, I've been living in Calgary, Alberta, since I was eight years old. Did a, did a few degrees. Did a master's, a bachelor's, and master's degree in history, and then an MBA. Had a had a successful business career, and you know I I wouldn't say that I hated my job, but I didn't love it either. And at the age of forty, I decided to follow my passion to become a writer. And there was a bit of strategic planning involved with that where I realized, well, I'm not good enough to be a successful novelist, but uh, but health and fitness writing, those guys aren't known for their ability to, you know, string a coherent sentence together. So, <laughs> so I thought I could actually make a go of that. And I saw a lot of opportunities in it. And and that was what I, I leapt into. And before long, I had a column with the Los Angeles Times and it just uh, steadily built it up from there over the last 10 years. Yeah. Wow. So, so where did you start when, when you decided to commit to that? You, you, you had a vision, you had a dream, you had a desire and you, you jumped off and made a commitment. What, what was, uh, what was day one like? And, and how did you, you know, how did you, you know, get that call to, to start writing for, you know, those, the, the large media outlets and, and going from there? 
the um, there was some luck involved in that I was able to sort of dip my toe in the, the water a bit because an opportunity came up to do a part time executive director role with a not for profit that still paid quite well. It was 20 hours a week and and it was a decent enough income that that was what gave me the, the courage to say, OK, this is happening. I'm going to uh, I wasn't going to because writers don't usually make a lot of money, especially right out of the gate. Sure. <laughs> so, so this was an opportunity to still keep some money coming in and uh, and see if I could make a go of this. And so that was that was sort of step one. And I kept that role for two and a half years until my writing career was was doing so well that I was able to just let it go and and switch to full time. But I started with a local magazine that just to just to get my name out there as, you know, just to prove that I could get published. It wasn't a big magazine, but uh, I went and I met with the uh, the publisher and the editor and I showed them some of my work and they said, you know, we really like your stuff. We'd like to publish you. And I, I sort of over delivered, I would say, where even though the pay was not that great, I worked really hard to do my best work possible so that I could have something impressive to show larger publications. And within six months, purely by accident, um, an editor at AOL found me online and liked what they saw. They liked my website that, you know, the work that I'd shown on my website. And she offered me a twice weekly column right there. And uh, and I said, great, this is awesome. This is, you know, all of a sudden I went from making very little money to making decent money. And it didn't pay that great. But uh, but, you know, it was enough and it gave me a lot of chance to practice. And I worked hard on that that twice weekly AOL column so that six months later and this is this was the the big turning point was, you know, having an MBA and working in uh, marketing and even some sales, I'd become pretty shameless about self-promotion because I felt it was really necessary that you you didn't need to just be good at what you did. You needed to get out and, and sell yourself to people. So I cold called the health editor of the Los Angeles Times and told her how great I was basically. Huh. Wow. <laughs> and it was it, at the beginning, it was a little bit of an awkward conversation, but you know, I said, you know, I can prove it. I can send you some examples that I think you'll be really impressed with. And, and she didn't hang up on me and, <laughs> uh, and they read my stuff and, and they said, this is great. We want to give you a column. They gave me a column wow. right out of the gate. And, uh, and, and this was who I again, what, what outlet? The Los Angeles times. LA times. Yeah. And so that was eight years ago. And the first time I was published in the Los Angeles Times, um, that was when I knew it was going to work. I thought if I if I can be a Canadian fitness writer being published in, you know, the major paper of fitness Mecca, which, you know, L.A. Yeah, Times is known as, sure. I said, I can make a go of this. I know yeah. that was when I knew it was really going to work. Um, however, getting to the point of you know, really significant financial success still took a lot longer than I thought it was going to. Always does, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned luck. Um, and, and luck certainly always plays plays a role. But, you, you know, I, used to, I always say you, you can't you can't you can't stumble into something unless you're moving forward. You know, you you move forward, you put one foot in front of another. Uh, you know, you found this job that, that was part time that worked just right for you and you could still write. And then uh, and then it was hard work. And, you know, I, for any listener who's been listening to me for any length of time, you know, there's a difference between hard work and, and inspired action. This is probably more along the lines of inspired action that you took and, and working hard to write those columns. 
And then you made a bold move and made that phone call to the LA Times, right? Uh, so yeah. I challenged the listener, like, think about that. What is, what is that bold move that that's a little scary, right? James could have just as easily been hung up on, right? But he wasn't, right? He he made the phone call, and and I'd be willing to bet James that that had you been hung up on, you would have gone, you would have probably made another phone call to somebody else, somewhere else, and yeah. and you would have continued to find another path, and that that path may not have been the exact same path that you've taken right now, but it would have been another path that uh, because I, I don't believe that there's just one path for all of us, but yeah. um, but you took action, and my first book deal also came from a cold call. Uh, there was, uh, I was on Twitter and I was, I'd seen a retweet of an editor at Random House Canada. And, uh, and I, I looked at at what she posted and she'd, she'd said something about something weird that she'd encountered on her, her walk to work. And, uh, and I thought, you know, she wasn't like a super senior editor, but you know, she was, she was an editor at Random House Canada. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to call this person. And, right. and so I, I called the switchboard. I asked for her by name. They put me through. And this was the same way it worked with the LA Times. I dialed their 1-800 number <laughs> and I'd looked up the name of the health editor and I just asked for her by name and, and they put me through. And, <laughs> and so they put me through. She answered the phone and I opened with something about what what had happened on twitter sure. she was a little she was a little weirded out at first, like who is this guy <laughs> well you put it out to the world so uh yeah. yeah and then i said okay i'm i'm gonna be brutally honest with you here um i am a successful writer that my writing reaches millions of people each month i want to give you a 30 second pitch at which point you can say tell me more or you can say goodbye and hang up and she said Okay, you've got 30 seconds. Huh. <laughs> and, That's bold. And so that was, you know, that was I, I gave them the option. I said, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to creep on you. I'm going to say you, you can hang up and, and I won't be offended. Sure. And so I, and I had my I gave her my 30 second elevator pitch and she said, yeah, this is cool. Let's let's keep chatting. And so she became a champion for me within the company. And then um, and then I used that in to get, you know, the New York City agent. And then we went from there. Yeah. And for the listener who's sitting there saying, well, I would do that too, but I don't have a, I don't have millions of readers who read me every, read my stuff every month. So I can't do that. But you know what? Yeah. You've got something else. You've got some I, other I build, leverage. I had to build that up first. Sure. <laughs> that was kind of important. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and it took work to do that and, and it took a bold move to, to do that. And so it's interesting. So you, you just point, you just pointed out two very bold moves that I think most people wouldn't even, consider wouldn't even wouldn't even do. So I, I challenge you, the listener, to think of that thing that's scary, that thing that you're not doing, that you're you're afraid to do, and your your success may just be on the other side of that. So I would challenge you to uh, to make that bold phone call or, or, or take that bold action. And uh, to to add to that, the worst that's going to happen is they're going to say no. I mean, right. it's not like you're going to be fined or thrown in prison or, you know, there and people will generally at, at the worst. They may get a little bit annoyed that you contacted them. But it's yeah. just, say, you know, just say, I, I'm sorry to have bothered you and end the call yeah. uh, and move on. And it gets easier with each uh, with each time that you get turned down and, uh, and then you, you just, you make, uh, a steady practice of it that, uh, that, you know, I don't know, maybe drink a beer in advance and loosen up a little. Or right, sure. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it takes. You know, I, I remember James, the one job that I had that really helped me deal with, with, um, with rejection was a sales job. And it was, 
mostly inside sales. We did some outside, but it was mostly sitting in the office and making cold or or semi warm calls. And I just got hung up on a lot. And my boss said, you know, there's there's plenty of other fish in the sea, Jim. Just just keep dialing. It doesn't matter. You know, there, there's we have like tens of thousands of leads. You're never going to get through all of them. So mm-hmm. if someone hangs up on you, just go to the next one. And, and I realized like it's okay to to try and it's okay to fail and it's okay to get rejected and move on to the next one. And you hear about successful people and usually that's the path is is rejection or failure after failure and and uh, until you finally until you finally strike gold. So and the the thing is like in my case, editors don't like taking phone calls. I've I've contacted editors where I've listened to their voicemail saying, don't leave me a voicemail. You know, don't I don't accept phone pitches. Uh, you know, their editors are some of the most aggressive shunners. <laughs> sure, they have to be. People. And but you know what? I can't deny the fact that it worked for me because, well, I, I think part of it was because I was quick. I got to the point immediately and I did have something powerful to offer. I did. Uh, yeah. I, I was I talked I talked a good game, but I followed it through with actual results. So, so they were, you know, I was, I, I stood out as, as different and worth talking to. So that's part of it. It's not just the phone call. You have to have your pitch well prepared and you have to know that, that if they give you the chance, they won't regret it. Right. And that pitch, that first pitch, that first bold move may not be to the LA times. It might be to your local magazine, right? It may be yeah. somewhere, somewhere even, you know, you know, lower on the totem pole where you have to kind of build your reputation, build your repertoire, build your, your assets. And, uh, until yeah. you, until and, you get and there. that local magazine was also a cold call. Wow. Uh, wow. Uh, and I mean, that one didn't even sort of register as being that hard because I mean, it was a local sure. Calgary magazine that, that, you know, covered Western Canada, that that one didn't strike me as being that big of a deal because it wasn't the Los Angeles times, but I'm still friends with the publisher and I still write for them every once in a while. Ah, that's great. Awesome. So James, let's talk about your book. Um, people sure are, so people are, you know, they're, they're waiting for a transformational moment to occur in their lives and they're like, then, then that's when I'll do the thing, right? That's when I'll lose the weight or fix my marriage or take the plunge or in, in build my business or, or go for that, that promotion or whatever it is, right? Um, I even see people who, you know, when, when we, when we hear, you know, I have all these amazing people on my podcast and, and they talk about, you know, they talk about their setbacks and their failures, et cetera, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, I've had amputees on the podcast. I've had people who uh, have had just tremendous setbacks, and people start, tend to think like, "Oh, well, gosh, well, if I had that, right? If I had that story, that loss, that adversity, then that's when I would be really inspirational." But it's like, no, no, you don't have to have that, right? So, how do you, James? How do you help people skip the hard part and go directly from intention to committed action? They have to realize that there's these types of transformative experiences can can bump into you, pop into your brain at any point in life there. It's not uh, it's not uncommon to happen when a person reaches rock bottom. That's true. But you don't have to reach rock bottom. I mean, there's there's examples in in the book of people who were uh, suffering just in, in the very depths of despair from addiction and then they just said in a flash of insight, this is over, I'm done, and completely transform their lives. Sure. There's another one called that's called 
crystallization of discontent. And that yeah. one is actually really common for people that they've got little nagging issues in their lives. Like things may even be feel kind of good, but life isn't where they want it. Maybe they're not as healthy as they want. Maybe they're not as uh, their relationship isn't great. Maybe they're not really happy with the career path they're on. Uh, it, it can be a, a lot of different things that they coalesce. It's it's like Gestalt theory where the um, the the. Uh, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts where all of these things come together and you just say enough and you can you can nudge yourself towards these types of epiphanies by analyzing these different bits of dissatisfaction in your life and thinking about them, turning them over in your mind and trying to strategize methods for, well, how would I overcome this? What would the step look like to to? to rectify this or to make this situation better. And it gives them an opportunity to kind of meander and collide in your brain where they gel in a profound way. And then the next level up from that is there's a very popular business book by um, by Jim Collins called Good to Great. Now it's, sure. for corpor- it's for corporations, but it also works for people that where you feel that there is some, some unanswered call in your life that you feel that you're destined to do something very significant, very important for yourself and, and so that you can you know, self-actualize, I suppose, but you haven't done it yet and you're not quite sure what it is. And you can start thinking, okay, you know, I don't want to um, tiptoe safely to death. I want to do something that's exciting and important and, and involves some risk. And and then you go down a path of trying to figure out what that may be and when it happens. And I know you're, we're, we're keeping it PG here of a, a holy crap moment. But if anybody does decide to look for the book, the word crap is not in the title. <laughs> um, but the uh, yeah. So for anyone that's looking for the book, it's it's the, the word that you ne- don't necessarily want your kids saying. But if you have that um type of transformative experience where you suddenly realize the answer, this this sudden insight of what it is that you have to do. The great thing about it is that it comes with a wave of powerful emotion and motivation that instead of feeling like work that is drudgery that you have to do uh, or, or that you don't want to do, it comes to feel like your destiny that you you must chase and you're very passionate about it and it no longer feels like work. It's more like play. So for the listener, you know that I talk a lot about the productive pause and James, you know, this is such a common thread and theme that I hear through interviewing these amazing guests is, is this idea that you have to stop and evaluate. You have to stop and get off the treadmill of life and actually evaluate, and like you said, analyze these things until you can have this crystallization of discontent, which you mentioned. And, you know, it's this, I define the productive pause as a short period of focused reflection around specific questions that leads to clarity of action and peace of mind, because that's what everybody's looking for is that clarity of action and peace of mind. So do you have any tips or tactics that people can do or use in order to have this crystallization to, in order to, to figure out what it is that, uh, that's making them, you know, that giving them this discontented feeling. There's this great quote by, by Thoreau that he says, the masses of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I think that's true with so many people. They, 
they have this discontent. They have this quiet, dis- this uh, um, quiet desperation where, you know, we just kind of go through life and we post these nice pictures of our families on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, but the truth is, it's much harder, right? And and we're we want something more, something different. We want this satisfaction. So, how do you? Uh, any, any thoughts on how you go about sort of crystallizing that? I have many thoughts <laughs> and and the book is full of them. Yeah. So it was interesting when I originally approached it, I didn't think it could be a how to until I started talking to some of the world leading psychological researchers in this field. And they said, oh, yeah, this is something that that can be primed for. There's a quote from the book, The Eureka Factor, uh, by psychologists John Cunios and Mark Beeman that said insights are like cats. They don't always come when called, but they can be coaxed. <laughs> so it's about priming your brain for sudden massive insight about what it is that you need to do Interesting. with the rest of your life. So and and it involves. So one of the things you can do is you need to make room for change. So it's, it's a fancy way to talk about prioritization. But if there is something that you do that you feel that waste time or you know, it is not leading you towards a, fulfill, a more fulfilling life and you feel like you can do without it, then then do without it. Create that amount of spare time where suddenly there's a yearning to fill that hole where you feel like, OK, now that I've got this this room in my life and maybe it's just surfing the net or watching TV or something like that, that that now I have this hole that needs to be filled with something that's more important and more meaningful then you really need to do it's a two-stage system of analysis and distraction so the way that our brains work is uh you spend time on steady rational analysis of who you are what you may want to be be what you may want to do what the problems are what the potential solutions are and but that's not when the lightning strike happens this is gathering bits of data for percolation in your brain and you don't don't necessarily write these things down. You think about them. You allow the chance for again. I'm going to use that term: meander and collide. Let these bits of information meander and collide in your brain, so that the unconscious is going to deliver the solution to you at some random point when you're in a distracted state. Because that it's the answer doesn't come while you're doing the analysis. It comes later when you're distracted yeah. and a great way to distract yourself is getting outside away from technological, um, uh, devices. So go for a walk and leave your phone at home. Uh, don't, you know, check Facebook, don't yeah. respond to email or text message pings. Um, music is okay. Uh, if you want to listen to music, but don't listen to something like a sorry, Jim, don't listen to a podcast Sure, because you, you need to get away from you listen to that later. Industry. Yeah. Listen to that later on. Uh, you, you need to get away from something that demands your attention and allow the external outside environment to seduce your attention. There's a lot of research that shows that being outside away from technological distraction dramatically enhances creative thought. And that's what this is. This is an endeavor in creative thought, allowing your brain to deliver the solution of what it is that you're looking for. And when it happens, don't try and stuff it down because it's an emotional experience instead of instead of trying to like you may actually weep with joy from what you found. If you feel like crying, 
cry. <laughs> this is this is one of those things where you need to embrace the emotion of the event that's just taken place because then it's going to like carve itself into your being like a chisel working on stone where it becomes something that you must do rather than just something that sounds like a good idea. Our minds are always focused on something, right? If we're not at work or with our family or, or, or watching TV, we're on our phones or on the computer. And, but this, this space that you talk about, I would imagine, you know, in the last 10 to 20 years, this space in our lives with technology has just shrunken to nearly zero. Is that, would you agree or what are your thoughts on that? For a lot of people, yes, it, they, they feel that they need to constantly be, they're afraid of getting in their own heads because we've come so accustomed to this distraction. And for me, that's why, I mean, I'm a, uh, I love to run and I love to ride my bike and I love to ski And, uh, and you know, when I'm running, for example, I'll still listen to music, but it's the same classic rock songs I've heard a thousand times. So, so they're not terribly distracting. They're just uplifting. Uh, and, and so non-distractive music is great, but I know people that they say, oh, you should listen to podcasts when you run and you should, uh, you or you should listen to audio books when you're, when you're out for a bike ride or whatever. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. This is the only time when I don't have to think about or I don't have to be technologically distracted and my brain is just allowed to be creative. And uh, and that is very important. Like my job is is very creativity dependent. The this book idea came to me on a bike ride and and a lot of my best article ideas and the best, you know, the funniest lines that I write come to me while I'm while I'm out either running or on a bike ride. And, uh, so it's important to give yourself that time to just be alone in your own head. And maybe you would just want to sit outside or, you know, and not have your phone with you, not be reading a book and just allow yourself, allow your, your mind to wander. Another really good one is, uh, which people are even technology is invading this space now is the shower. People are, you know, getting waterproof phones and taking them into the shower Worst idea ever, <laughs> because sure. you've heard of the term shower thoughts before. There is, again, scientific research that people have great ideas in the shower. And the reason why is you've done it thousands of times. So it, it's not intellectually demanding. You don't it's it, all of the motions you go through are automatic. So so you don't have to think about it. There's a white noise effect where it, it sort of cuts off the external environment it's comforting. It feels good. You're in a you're in a good positive mood. That's why the shower is so great for having these ideas. So even if you have a waterproof phone, please don't take it in the shower with you. Just go in there and and have that good, thoughtful alone time and and use it. Yeah, man, what great advice! I think if if the listener, if you can really wrap your head around what he's talking about, there's just allowing yourself to have that space to let your thoughts, like you said, meander and collide. And, uh, and it just amazing things can happen. I just, I just go back to, I'm just, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about different places in my life where, where I have this, or I've experienced this and in other areas where like, I need to allow that to happen even more. 
and again, for the listener, you know, this is like another version of that productive pause, right? It's just this pause where you're, it's not doing the thing. It's actually shutting off and, and allowing the thoughts to happen. So I love that. So James, is this why most people, like most people that I work with, you know, and these are pretty high performing people, some of them. I mean, really just a, a incredible people. I've worked with professional athletes and Olympians and, you know, um, just, just people who are elite at what they do uh, in their careers. And, uh, and, they, and they struggle, like I think most people, with consistency, right? Doing the thing on a consistent basis that they know that they need to be doing or they should, to be, should be doing. Is that connected to this, the, the, the idea of, of being consistent and doing the thing that you know you need to be doing? Because, I mean, gosh, I'll talk about myself even. Like, with, I'm, a, I'm a fit person. I eat healthy. Uh, I work out daily. But I can't walk past a cookie without eating it, right? If it's there, I'm like, man, I, I got to eat it. You know, so the holidays are a tough time for me. But, but is this is are they, are they connected? So there's yes, they absolutely are. So the, one of the things about this book is that it turns traditional cognitive behavior change and habit formation on its ear a bit, where it preaches traditional behavior change models are largely about being a tortoise, not a hare, slow and steady baby steps towards habit change. This approach is completely different where it's rapid transformation of motivation from either non-existent or barely existent to incredibly motivated to do this new thing and having sustained motivation for as long as it takes. And, uh, and, and it just pops in immediately. And there's plenty of of examples of that taking place. But that doesn't mean that it's either or. They can work in concert with one another. Now, one of the things that you can do is engage in this slow and steady approach, but being attuned to the possibility of a life-changing epiphany that comes in and suddenly dramatically transforms your motivation to a much higher state. That being said, that that the other thing is once you've had this transformative experience that uh, that puts you on this new path, it's it's a wave of of neurochemicals, dopamine and opioids that makes you realize that this was something really important, that that this was it was unusual and and it makes you recognize that that this is something that you have to do. And what keeps you on this new path is a an ongoing sort of IV drip of dopamine moving forward because dopamine recognizes progress. And so when you have the answer of this new quest in life that you must fulfill, Every single tiny little step that you take after that moment um, in, in the direction of fulfilling that newfound goal gives you a little drip of dopamine that says, yes, keep going. You're doing it. Go, you know, and, and it's reinforcing and it feels good. But and that's what keeps the, the adherence levels so high. That being said, I mean, I had a transformative experience about fitness 25 years ago that made me realize that, you know what, I, I just decided that uh, after a couple of months of slogging and hating exercise, I had a sudden realization that said, I'm going to keep working out for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And and I'm just going to do this until I die. And there, but there have been ebbs and flows. I mean, I eventually qualified for the Boston Marathon and sometimes I'm a little more motivated than others. So you still it's not completely infallible. You still need to develop these little tips and tricks that 
you figure out on your own about things that help motivate you to eat better or to exercise or to, if it's an entrepreneurial venture, keep pushing to get those sales or build that product or whatever it is that it's not a hundred percent output all the time. <laughs> sure. So, you know, they, they work together where, where, you know, that, that, that you've still got the long-term vision and you're still determined to do it, but it doesn't mean that you can't engage other well-known and accepted practices for keeping yourself on task. Excellent. And for the listener, you can get more of this from the book. So I'll have a link in the action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action, and you can get access to the PDF action plan from this episode and all the other episodes. So thank you for that, James. Now, I want to ask you about a time where you failed, a time where you failed. And as a result, you felt that hopelessness or that overwhelming self-doubt that comes with failure. Because we talk about a lot of successes, a lot of these these bold moves, these phone calls you made. And and a lot of success, but was there was there any failure along the way? Uh, yeah, so I, I'd like to say tell you two of them because one of them is more related to the book. Um, the The first one was in my twenties when I was flunking out of school and and I was going to be kicked out, and that was when I had my transformative experience because I was in this state of despair, and I read a a powerful quote in my school newspaper by, uh, of all people, folk singer Joan Baez that said, that read, action is the antidote to despair. And that is the moment that changed my life. I read that and, and I don't necessarily think that all, that motivational quotes are magical, but it hit me at just the right time. It hit me when I, when I was at a point where I knew that I needed to change and it made me realize that I'd been lazy most of my life and I'd always done the bare minimum and that, that if I just got down to work, I could fix all of these problems, including my failing grades. And I ended up going from flunking out of school to getting two master's degrees. And so that was that was one. More recently, in terms of this career, uh, you could say that my first book was something of a failure. It was so when I approached it, I decided that that with this weight loss book, I was going to write the best weight loss book I possibly could which I did. I, uh, you know, a lot of people wrote me, they said it was, they, it really helped them. It was very valuable. Um, my mom said it's the best weight loss book ever written. (laughs) So, (laughs) So it's, uh, but the thing was that just because it was a very helpful, good book, I, when I wrote it, I didn't really do my homework to understand the American market and realize that, you know what, this book wasn't going to sell well in the United States because my agent referred to the United States as ground zero for stupid diets. <laughs> and and that's true. So sure. I wrote a very science-based, practical, strategic plan for losing weight. If I had written some bogus fad diet, sure. that, you know, I'd gotten really creative. Everybody would have bought it. Up, then they would have bought it. And so that was a failure to plan where I realized that I put so much effort into this book that did well in Canada, uh, where I think maybe we're a little bit more pragmatic about our weight up here, (laughs) but we just couldn't get a big U S publisher interested in it. And, and that was, that was pretty heartbreaking for me because I'd, I'd put so much work into this book and I thought that it was really well done. and, And I'd had, you know, people telling me how much they liked it and how much it helped them. But it's just the the market in the United States was saying no. 
And and so I thought, okay, well, it that book was published almost five years ago. It took me a long time to get to the point of uh, reanalyzing, repositioning, rebranding myself, expanding to come up with a book idea that we could get a major U.S. publisher interested in. And that was so that and I grew my platform during that time. I, I you know, had a broader reach to people. But it essentially involved the decision to say, I am not going to write a diet book. I'm not going to play that game because it, it went against my ethics. It, it was my values would not permit me to write something that was unscientific, even if it meant big sales, big success. So yeah. I had been writing about I'd been largely focusing on the motivational side of weight loss anyway. I was very interested, not on, not in specific diets or specific exercise programs, but getting people to just do something, to, to do some exercise they were passionate about, to eat in a way that was right for them and just motivating them to do it. And I thought, you know what? Losing weight is unbelievably hard. I've been good at motivating people to lose weight. If I can do that, I can motivate them to do anything. So that was an enlightening moment to realize that I could expand my brand beyond weight loss into motivation of any type and write a more self-help oriented book that was still very science-based because that you can write a motivational book that is founded in science, that is evidence-based and not, not some fad. And, uh, and so I spent a lot of time working on the idea until I discovered what it was and, and had the help of a great agent. And this time we were very strategic about it. So the, the overcoming the failure was all right, now we're actually going to look at what the market wants and find something that is that I want to write, that I have the ability to write, that is, you know, in line with my ethics and morals and the market wants it. <laughs> so yeah. that was how we overcame that failure. And Excellent. we got we got the big U.S. book deal and we actually sold UK rights to HarperCollins as well. Wow. Wow. So I want the listener to recognize that you, your first try, if it's a failure, doesn't mean doesn't mean you, you should you should quit. It, it means you may need to redouble your efforts or, or maybe pivot or make an adjustment. So, well, thank you for sharing that. And as we wrap up here, can you can you share with us uh, like one action item, right, for the listener who says, "I'm in. I want to have that epiphany moment." What's one action item they can take in the next, let's say, twenty four to forty eight hours? Um. I, I would say that uh, that you need to start engaging your emotional drivers because a lot of us have a tendency to overthink things, but rational thought isn't what makes this happen. It is more about the way you feel about something rather than the way you think about it. That's what's going to give you the power to go forward. If something really feels right, it doesn't mean that you're ignoring the rational drivers. The rational drivers are, 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 are the ones that are giving you the confirmation that says, yes, this is a good idea. So it's got to come with a feeling of rightness and desire. So start thinking about your future and what it is that that you deeply want to do at an emotional level rather than what, you know, you've analyze to death and and uh because when you when you focus too much on rational analysis you have a tendency to overthink it and it, it just doesn't have that power to drive you forward yeah yeah great advice and how about you share with us uh just uh, where we can find you follow you buy your book etc 
So the best place to find my book is at my website, bodyforwife.com. If you click on the books tab, I have links to every possible platform that it's available on, whether it's electronic or you want to order it from your preferred book provider. I also did the audio recording for it. So if you're the person, the the type of person that prefers to listen to a book and you didn't mind my uh, yammering for the last 35 minutes or so, (laughs) then uh, you can listen to me narrate the entire book. Excellent. Excellent. I'll have links to everything that he just mentioned there in the action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. James, so thank you so much for making time to come on the show. Thank you, Jim. It was a real pleasure. Likewise. And for the listener, until next time, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success. 